this is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's episode, we'll be continuing our A24 retrospective series with Lucky Episode 6. If you're new to the series, please go back to episode 156, where it all started, and we discussed a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan III. And while you're there, have a listen to my personal favorite ContraZoom episode, which is episode 108, A History of A24 Films. For this episode, we're going to be discussing James Ponsoldt's 2013 movie, The Spectacular Now, which is a coming-of-age romance story starring Shane Lane Woodley and Miles Teller. But before we begin, I want to welcome first-time ContraZoom pod guest, Brody Cottenham. Brody's a screenwriter whose screenplay Lackeys was selected as a winner in the 2020 Big Apple Film Festival screenplay competition. He's also a published author, which I wanted to mention because I really like the name of, or the title of the book, which is... Reality TV and Crack, A User's Guide to an Utterly Useless ex- Existence. <laughs> Brody, <laughs> Brody also contributes to the Fourth Line podcast website and is a fan of the Ottawa Senators and an even bigger fan of their owner, Eugene Melnick. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Brody. How you doing? Well, I'm good. How are you guys? Now, I debated between a Eugene Melnick line and a dig at the Leafs um, in for Dakota, but I went with no. Eugene Melnick because it felt Eugene appropriate. Melnick, perfect. Love it. <laughs> yeah, that, that threw a curveball at me there. I'm, I'm very rarely speechless. Jeez, uh, uh, you're not allowed to swear on this, right? I got I to keep my Eugene uh, commentary. <laughs> I could probably count maybe on one hand the people that understand that listening to this podcast, what a Eugene Melnick reference is. <laughs> <laughs> but now they'll look it up and it's going to be amazing. So it's going to be excellent. And they'll I could discover... write a play about him. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Brody. How are things with you? How's, how's your weekend going so far? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I've obviously listened a lot lately and uh, you guys do great work. So it, it is fun to be on and get a chance to talk to you guys. Oh, we have very happy to have you on. And of course, we're going to have Brody answer our A24 for questions. Um, but before that, Dakota, how are you doing? Not bad. Uh, how does it feel that you're finally allowed back out again? I know you've, I've kept you locked up for the last uh, three episodes. Uh, does it I know. feel good to sort of stretch your legs again? It feels good to be able to talk again. I mean, oh, that's yes. really nice. I'm glad because that no you've given me... no one knew your movie, op- movie opinions the last few weeks. Exactly. And it's been killing me, quite frankly. Like, I haven't been like, who am I supposed to talk to about this? So I'm glad. Thank you so much for, for um, unlocking the key and saying it's okay, giving me the thumbs up to, to it's speak just again. Be rapid fire hot takes. Absolutely. Including the Eugene Melnick hot takes. It's gonna be great. <laughs> um, all right, so let's get right into it into the A24 four questions. So Dakota and I both answered these questions in the first episode, which I mentioned, which is episode 156. Uh, and friend of the show, Naomi Wadaplot, also answered them in our Bling Ring episode, which is number 172. So Brody, to start it off, what are your top three A24 movies? That's a good question. I think you and I were talking about this earlier. I didn't realize how many movies they'd done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really had to look through um, the one I definitely think I would put in there for sure is Ex Machina. Excellent choice. Because, yeah, I, I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. And I think Alex Garland, like, he just makes really interesting movies. And an amazing performance, too, from, like, all three of the leads, yeah. Oscar Isaac. 
uh, Donald Gleason and Alicia Vikander. Like it's the, it's straight across the board, a really solid movie. Absolutely. And a very like, it very much fits with the studio in terms of tone and stuff too. So I think mm-hmm. when you're thinking about favorites and also in terms of a 24 kind of encapsulates, I think a lot of what they go for in a movie too. Definitely. Yeah. How about, uh, do you have any, another, another two to fill out your top three? Yeah. Well, I kind of paired, I'm going to say not brackets, but kind of put a couple together um, like room and the Florida project. Like I, I think I have to pick one of them because okay. I really enjoyed both of those. And then more on like the horror end of stuff. Cause I do quite enjoy the horror stuff. Um, like Robert Eggers, two films and Ari Aster's two films. Yeah. So the witch, um, uh, I was going to say the lobster. I did like the lobster, but, um, I like the, the lobster. Yeah. Oh no. The lobster was quite good. But the lighthouse. I just the back and forth between them was really great. And, um, hereditary and midsummer. I, I know Rachel is more of a midsummer fan. Love midsummer. It's such yeah. a good movie. It's so good. I, I love them both. I think they're both really good movies. I would probably slightly prefer hereditary, but I would pick kind of one of those groups. Um, Dakota, where are you on that? Have you seen both? I have. Yes. Um, okay. Mm, it's so tough. I think, Hereditary is probably the better made film, but uh, Midsommar is probably more entertaining. Like Hereditary just like really gets into my soul and like it's a tough <laughs> one. It is a t- I will say I'm like not as, you know, weak as you with horror movies. Um, I like, her- yeah, Hereditary is like a pretty, I think it's a tough watch. I think that's a pretty tough one. Have you seen The Witch, Dakota? I have, yes. Okay. I quite like that one a lot. I really liked it, and I I always, in a way, kind of stumped for it in a weird way, because they actually filmed it um, in Algonquin Park. Oh, I didn't not, know that. Not far from where I grew up, yeah. They filmed it in Kiosk, uh, yeah, Kiosk, Ontario. Yeah. So it's like just kind of the northern part of Algonquin Park. And, um, oh, I had no idea. Yeah, well, it's, I randomly came across that somehow one day i think i was looking up something about the movie and i'm like this scenery seems really familiar i wonder where they filmed it and because it the full title was like a north something fairy tale a northeastern fairy yeah. tale or something. so i figured they filmed it like in the northern united states somewhere and then i looked it up and i'm like oh that's why everything looked so familiar because it's <laughs> and i mean his new movie is going to be called the north man which is i believe yeah. it's like a yeah. Scand- i think it's scandinavian right like that mm-hmm. Yeah, Alexander Skarsgård's in it. Yeah. yeah. My, my boy Alex is in it. It's going to be great. Very excited. You know he's um, going to be naked because he's always naked in everything he does. Yeah, it's become very just like whatever. No, I, yeah. I don't. You know, it's like, okay, he's who cares? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, this, this all right, is a conversation Brody, for Naomi to have with us. <laughs> um, all right, Brody, next question. What was your introduction to A24? Um... I think it might have been Ex Machina or mm-hmm. The Witch. Like I, I honestly, I was trying to think which one I watched first, but it was something around kind of that era. I feel like Ex Machina was the reason a lot of people started paying a lot more attention to A24, because that movie blew up in a bit of a different way than previous A24 movies did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my opinion. 
Um, okay, next question, which is my favorite question of the four. Um, which director, dead or alive, would make a good A24 movie? I think, I mean, the easy one, dead is Hitchcock. Like, that's, I mean, like, that's kind of a given. But mm-hmm. I would go with Paul Thomas Anderson, because I think his movies are really interesting, mm-hmm. and I feel like mm-hmm. he would have a pretty good sensibility. Um, because his movies are similar in that they're very character-driven. Um, so I think his kind of writing and his kind of style would fit pretty well. It is interesting to me that some of the bigger names, um, I guess it it doesn't really fit in with A24 in that sense, like in terms of just budget wise, but it does surprise me that some of the larger names and directors don't go under A24, like somebody like a Paul Thomas Anderson or even like the Coen brothers, like they seem to fit in well with the vibe of A24, but they tend to go their own way and not not go with a24 well joel cohen's new movie is is going to be a24 this oh shoot yeah have. you're right yeah yeah absolutely is it oh it's good yeah yeah i forgot about that um all right and then the last question brody is what makes an a24 film to you well i think kind of getting to what i said about like paul thomas anderson i think they're all very character driven like you're never going to watch an a24 movie and be like oh michael bay did this they're very much about you know characters um a lot of them are kind of dour like yeah you're not like there's not a lot of comedy in them there's not a lot of um upbeat stuff but there's a lot of humanity uh even in that like stuff like room or the florida project things like that like it's dark and it's you know their people are going through rough times but you see you know a lot of the character. So I think that's definitely a big part of it. Um, I also think, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but like in terms of like music, like I was watching uh, under the skin the other night and it's like, or good time or like, there's a lot of like not soundtrack, but just like tones. Yeah. In terms of like background noise. Right. They Um, do. good. Yeah. The, the, composers that those films tend to choose like they're really i think click into like they complement the movie really really nicely and you're right they are very dark like incredibly dark usually yeah and i think visually too there's a lot of um long shots or like they'll be like ghost story or mid 90s like they just hold on shots and like Mm -hmm. let the music kind of wash over you and let you kind of just sit with the frame um, and I think that's kind of pretty commonplace in a lot of the films I've seen. So I think those are a lot of the elements that I think every one of them tends to sort of have. I like what you said about the comedy as well. Like there's not much ha-ha comedy from A24 movies, but the comedy they do use is quite dark and very um, bleak. Like I think Midsommar is actually quite humorous in many ways. Um, not traditionally humorous, but there are like a lot of funny bits to it that might just be me thinking that it's funny but i don't know I thought it was no, kind of funny. even like i said like willem dafoe's character in the florida project like mm-hmm. he had like this kind of sarcastic sense of humor right yeah lighthouse too he was he was funny in lighthouse i thought yeah mm-hmm. um all right thank you so much for that brody those are excellent answers and it's Thanks cool so we're much. starting to build like a little repository of a24 opinions across yeah. the film opinion landscape um, all right, so let's dive right into the spectacular now. My name is Sutter Keeley. 
I got everything that I need right here. I've got a job, I've got a car, I've got a beautiful girl. I was the life of every party. You gotta live in the moment. It's about this. This is beautiful. Hey. Hey. Where the hell am I? Do you live around here, Sutter? How do you know my name? You go to the same school. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm Amy. That's what I was gonna say. Nice to meet you, Amy. So Spectacular Now was released in theaters on August 2nd, 2013. It was acquired by A24 alongside the Bling Ring um, during the Sundance Festival uh, of the same year, 2013. It's directed by James Ponsel. It stars Miles Teller as Sutter, who's our protagonist, Shailene Woodley as Amy, his love interest. And then after that, you've got a pretty stacked supporting cast in this movie. You have Brie Larson, who's Sutter's ex-girlfriend, Cassidy, uh, Coach Taylor, a.k.a. Kyle Chandler, in a very against-type role as a deadbeat absent father, which I don't think anybody likes to see Kyle Chandler in that kind of light. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who's Sutter's mom. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Sutter's uh, sister. And then uh, my personal favorite, Bob Odenkirk, who is Sutter's boss in this. So The Spectacular Now is, um, as I said at the beginning, it's a coming-of-age high school love story. It has Sutter, who's a senior in high school, He's coming off a breakup with Cassidy, definitely has a drinking problem, which is alluded to throughout the entire movie. Uh, After one night out, he passes out on the front lawn of Amy's family home. Now, Amy is also a senior in the same high school as Sutter, but she's a bit of the invisible student in that Sutter has no idea who she is, but she knows who Sutter is. She's uh, the complete contrast to Sutter. She's a good student. She's been accepted to college in Philadelphia, hasn't had much experience slash no experience in the love department. Um, And after the two of them meet, they have a little meet cute on the lawn. um, Their relationship starts to blossom from there. And the film tracks the ups and downs of their relationship and going into um, some of the things personal to Sutter's life, including the relationship with his father. Now, I can appreciate that that description of the movie is probably not very, um, it's not, it's very rudimentary uh, in its description. And there are a lot that goes in the spectacular now's favor in terms of going against the grain of what we typically expect from a high school love story. So they talk about some pretty deep themes like generational trauma. There's the idea of Sutter being afraid of change of moving on to the next step which is something we don't normally see in high school films usually there's an excitement to being in grade 12 or senior year um, with your life ahead of you but Sutter's the complete opposite he even at some one point says you know you're an adult to a teacher like tell me how great it is and as three adults here I think we can all agree it's not that great like there's there's some (laughs) definite perks to being a high school student Um, So I I personally love that about the movie, but I actually think that that's a great place to start off with um, for our discussion. When this movie came out, it was very widely celebrated for being a realistic depiction of a high school relationship from not being overly bumbling, especially when it came to like first sexual experiences and things like that. Um, And it was about, and it was also celebrated for going against the typical tropes that we see in these types of movies. So Dakota, starting with you, do you think that that praise was deserved for this movie? It's interesting because uh, I the first time I watched this movie was in preparation of doing my article, the the episode that I did of the history of A24. And then 
I tried to catch up with as many as I could that I felt were the quote unquote uh, important or bigger A24 films in order to make my top 10 list that I did with Royce. And so this was one of the ones that, that I kind of zeroed in on as I remember getting a lot of praise and I skipped it at the time. So I watched it and I wasn't overly fond of it. And I, I sort of appreciate that it wasn't your, your typical sort of teen romance or coming of age sort of story, which I'm, I think we've talked about this before that I'm really not much of a fan of the sort of coming of age tropes that are mm -hmm. often put in place in these teen movies. So I wasn't really looking forward to rewatching this one, <laughs> but I actually kind of enjoyed it more. And maybe because going in, I knew that this was honestly a pretty bleak movie like this this you know it has its happy moments it has its cute moment and i think that they have decent chemistry together but for the most part it's pretty bleak because the story really is centered around one guy who very clearly is on a path of self-destruction and i'm sure we'll kind of talk about it a bit more later but by the time we get introduced to kyle chandler who's his father their his character you basically realize that Sutter is already well on his way to becoming the exact same person that his father is. And, and so I think maybe going in the second time and, and knowing that that's the case, that this is, this is not your typical happy go lucky movie where everyone gets a happy ending sort of thing made me sort of appreciate the darkness a little bit better and was able to kind of revel in it all. So, so maybe that was something that, that worked for me more on this second time viewing where like, I often find myself when I watch a movie, I, I, whatever opinion I have, if I rewatch it, my opinion usually stays the same. I might, you know, like it a little bit more or a little bit less, but like if I already liked it, I'm not going to be silently be like, oh, what was I thinking? This movie is actually trash sort of thing. Uh, so it's very rarely of me to, to do like a 180. And I wouldn't say it's a full 180. I went from mildly disliking it to being generally favorable about it. Interesting. Brody, how about you? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was pretty well done. Um, I think the interesting point you mentioned um, was about the depiction of like a high school relationship. Mm -hmm. And it got me to thinking about Amy and like Shailene Woodley's character. Because, and just how she's kind of portrayed and how she behaves throughout the movie. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I didn't know much about this movie going in. I knew so nothing like about after, it going in. Yeah. yeah, and after about the first 25, 30 minutes, right, where we do the, oh, what would you compare it to and, you know, what else would it be? I totally thought they were going to do, like, a, a she's all that sort of thing. Me too. <laughs> but honestly, but I, and I mean, I, I vaguely remember that movie from, like, back in the day. Like, I think my sister had it on or something that I watched. Like, I don't remember that movie well at all. I just remember, like, the conceit of it, right, which is, like, you know, the popular guy meets the girl who's not as popular and then. You know, but once she, she took her glasses off, exactly. all of a sudden she was super hot. Yeah. I thought Shailene Woodley was going to take her hair out of a ponytail. And then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, like exactly. all that's going to break loose. I totally thought they were kind of going for that. But it was just more interesting what they did go with her because she basically just starts becoming a less self-destructive version of him. But she kind of molds her whole life to fitting what he's doing and she starts drinking like he does and stuff. And it was interesting because it's easy to kind of be critical of her character and say, Oh, well, she's just, you know, she's this vapid kind of character who just became, you know, whatever he wanted her to be. And she threw herself into him and, you know, became what, you know, he wanted her to be. But at the same time, don't a lot of people in high school do that? Like 
if you start dating someone or someone likes you, you kind of become, and even after high school, you know, you kind of start leading yourself down their path and you start doing what they want to do. So I think that in that sense, it actually made sense that she would, you know, and I think like later in the movie, you know, she's like professing her love for him and stuff. And I think that that is realistic in a sense, like someone that age, like they might, you know, behave in that way. They might, you know, start becoming that kind of person, despite like at one point her friend protests and I forget the actress's name. She's the one in Booksmart. Yeah. Caitlin Devers. Yeah, and her friend is kind of warning her, like, hey, like, you know, I know who you are, Sutter. Like, she kind of gives him a shot because she knows um, that that's the case. And I think one of the more poignant scenes was um, when him and Brie Larson's character are there. They've had a couple of drinks and they're like sitting on his bed talking. And he's like, well, what do you want? She's like, I want a future. Mm-hmm. like she was one of the few people that kind of realized like listen i love this guy but he's no good for himself and i can't do this i really love the character of cassidy um yeah i know she's she's a minor character in it but to me she was the most um i feel like she's what we kind of had hoped we would be when we were that age you know like you're you're actually mature you're wise you're thinking about your future you can look at a guy and or a girl, like just look at your partner and say, yeah, this person's just not right for me. And they're not going to serve me well in what I want to achieve in my life. Um, and I think it's great because like Cassidy, that character, that ex-girlfriend character tends to usually be like super popular, pretty bitchy, um, you know, is super jealous of the new girlfriend. And there's like a lot of tension there. That's usually the way that most movies turn with the ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, it was someone who you know they didn't have a bad breakup there wasn't you know any well well, i mean i I shouldn't say bad yeah there was but not like anything crazy do you know what i mean like it's a pretty realistic like yeah i mean you're in high school you change partners and whatever um but they made her kind of just say like look like i i know what i want i want to have a good future and then i like it you know one of the last things i think she says to him is like you'll always be my favorite ex-boyfriend like she, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a tenderness, there's an intimacy, like they obviously care for each other, but she's very aware of, you know, this guy's not it, like, he's not going to be the one that I want to spend the rest of my life with. And that's something for him to kind of wrestle with and, and grow up a little bit with. Um, but yeah, I, for me, I, I always, I think that the movie, it is realistic, more realistic than our typical love stories, um, like high school love stories, that is. But I don't think that that's saying very much because high school love stories are usually so incredibly unrealistic. Um, yeah. Right. So it's like the standards pretty low. And if anything, I found this movie to be a bit of them telling a story of like it's in hindsight, like the lens is the hindsight. So mm. you say the characters are saying and acting in a way that we wished we would have said and done when we were in high school. But you wouldn't have said that because you know, I think to the the first uh, the sex scene between uh, Amy and and Sutter, where like she's this is her first time, and this is a guy she's just kind of known for a few months, but she's totally chill and totally cool. You know, like and there's no awkwardness. <laughs> I'm like, there's usually a hint of awkwardness to this, and it's yeah. not usually like. At, so in that sense, I feel like they kind of maybe pushed it a little too far in the sense of like really trying to go against 
the grain of of the of the high school love story trope. They they almost tried to make it too authentic and like look yeah. at how real these characters are. They're they're so realistic. They're mature for their age and things like that. Which maybe that's a product of this is based on a book. So I wonder if if that's mm-hmm. the case. Obviously, I haven't read it, so I can't really comment on it. But I wonder if if that kind of influenced the direction of the characters. Absolutely, and I think like. Brody, you brought up Amy. I think she's a very interesting character as well, just in the way that they made her up to be. Of, you know, she's not the nerdy stereotype. She's not that girl. Like the she's all that Rachel Lee Cook. Like that's not her. No. Yeah, that was a, a character who was interesting because, like, they they don't they don't try to make her out of like so often. We're talking about the, the she's all that trope of look at this, you know, ugly, homely girl. Oh, she, you know, gets her hair done, puts on a little bit of makeup and takes her glasses off. And, oh, my God, she's gorgeous. Really? She's a supermodel the whole time. Wow. That's what happens <laughs> when you cast an insanely gorgeous person and you try to ugly them up. Like Shailene Woodley, her character, like I'm not going to say that Shailene Woodley is not an attractive person by any means. But like you put her next, like I find like. Brie Larson looked very young in this movie, but she's like such a glamorous person. You put the the two of them next to her. She looks, she, she stands out a little bit being like, Oh, Hey, you don't look as glamorous as someone like Brie Larson sort of thing. And so I don't, I don't think they, I, I think they made the smart decision of not trying to play like, Oh, she's the ugly girl in class sort of thing, which is so often the case. It's more just like, Oh, she's the awkward girl. We're like, I feel like we all can kind of think of someone we knew, whether it was in, in high school or, or, or university or whatever, where, Someone who is like, yeah, they're like they're a fine looking person. They're just kind of weird. They keep to themselves. I don't really know who their friends are or like what their interests are. I just don't really know anything about this person. But they're not like they're an unattractive person. Like you, you could see, be like, oh yeah, they're they're good looking sort of thing. And I think they do a good job of sort of making the Amy character that type of person. It's so interesting yeah, you say that Brie Larson looks young. I actually thought she looked a little bit older well i i just mean comparatively to 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 now i'm not saying she looks yeah oh yeah okay yes to now (laughs) yes but like the way she the way she dresses and like her haircut almost looks dated for 2013 already yeah it does yeah and and i think like shailene woodley is like she looks really young in this movie like Mm -hmm. i think she looks probably the most high schoolish of them like teller and uh Brie Larson. Definitely well, I think she's also the youngest older. of the cast, too. Uh. She is, yeah, she, she is, is she's definitely. She's four years younger than Miles Teller. Yeah. Which shouldn't be a big deal, but I guess at that age, because I think she would have been in her early 20s and him in his late 20s. So yeah. it would have been, like, actually a, a decent change. But I, that kind of pulled me out every now and then, I won't lie. Like, every now and then I'd see Brie Larson and think, she looks a lot older than I, than like Shailene Woodley. And I'm you're supposed to believe they're all the same age, but Shailene Woodley looked quite a bit younger to me. Mm-hmm. That's just a casting thing. I don't know. Or like seeing Mary Elizabeth Winsett as yeah. <laughs> um, Sutter's older sister. I'm like, are they like the same age? And I'm looking up and there's like three years difference to them. And like they put her in yeah. like a, you know, a fancy updo hair and like pearl earrings and like a cocktail dress. And of course she's going to look, you know, 10 years older than the guy in shorts and a t-shirt. And also the partner they chose for her was like, Oh my God. Yeah. And he must be like 20 old. years older than her. Yeah. He was very old. Which I think was the, the, the case of like, clearly they're trying to illustrate that she's not a gold digger per se, but clearly she's proud of the fact that she no longer has to work for a living. Uh, wouldn't we? Yeah. All be they proud definitely of that? mentioned that. So help her mom out. Her mom's trying to get by. You can't give your mom some money. Come on. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing. Cause like the, when they talked about, 
like, okay, so family dynamics is a big part of this movie. The relationship between Shayla, or Amy and her mom and Sutter and his father slash and also his mother. Like, it's it's quite tense. But the idea of, um, like, I found it interesting that Amy was like, oh, I, I help, you know, I help pay the bills. Like, I help my mom out to, to deliver the paper or whatever. And Sutter's a bit of a brat and this like, why do you help her? Like, why isn't she, she should be mm-hmm. just paying your adult. shit. Like, yeah. yeah. And I'm just kind of like, dude, like you're not, Which is it's not like rich kid thing to think. Yes. But he's not meant to be a rich kid. In this. No, no, but Which he's, I found just, a bit off. he's very self-indulgent. Like yeah, the whole, yeah, his whole true. character arc, he's just meant to be this hedonistic, like right from the get go. And I think mm-hmm. that was one of the better written parts in the sense of like, you knew who these people were the second you met them. Yeah, and that's very from true. The second you met Sutter, it was like I was the wife of the party, and this, this, and this, and it's like everything else was just incidental. That's who he was. That's who he saw himself as, and it's almost like he didn't know what to be aside from that. So when he got thinking about his future, it was like, well, what do I do now? Like, if that's who you are, if that's who you were, it's going to be really tough to be anything else. And I think it did a good job of kind of displaying that. But the thing that drove me nuts, and I don't know about you guys, but it's like he never really faced a lot of consequences through the stuff he did throughout yes. the movie. Yes. I, I agree with and, that. And I think one of my problems the first time through was like, wow, this movie kind of glamorizes drinking and driving. Yes. Thank you for yeah. saying that because I was going to say yes. that too. Yes, absolutely. And I know about and, was, and that but, almost goes yeah. to um, what was it? Uh, both the Bling Ring and Spring Breakers. There's a lot of intoxicated driving in those two movies, and this is like another one where there's a lot of intoxicated driving. And other than which, I know Rachel, you do want to talk about that because I do too. Other than the accident near the end, there's literally no consequences to him always being drunk. So I had read some interviews with Shailene Woodley um, about this movie. And she was saying that one of the kind of very intentional um, choices that James Ponsold made was not putting a huge spotlight on the drinking. Like it was just kind of something in the background, almost like it only gets properly addressed. I mean, with the father, really? Yeah, and Bob Odenkirk, he mentions it as well. He's, he, his character says something like, well, if I were your father, like I should tell you to get some help. And then he does the, well, if you were my father, wouldn't have this problem. Um, but like apparently it was- Which speaks it was a, to him though, because that's just deflecting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it was, it was a very distinct choice from the director not to put uh, put any spotlight on it, for better or for worse. And- I do agree with you though, Dakota, like the fact that the, the drunk driving is put very casually, like it's not even Amy doesn't go, Hey, like you, you've had a bit to drink. Like, do you think you should drive? Like there's not, yeah. there's not even that there's just, yep, I'm going. And then I think at some point, doesn't Brie Larson's character even say like, he's better. He, he drives better this way. One of the oh, characters no, says no, that no. about him. And I remember thinking like, this is not, this isn't like a, a movie from like the fifties and the sixties and seventies where <laughs> yeah. maybe it was okay. Like today yeah. we're very well aware you should not drink and drive. So yeah, the, the, those, those morality questions are interesting in this kind of movie. And well, I, I don't know if, yeah, if you guys have any, I mean, Dakota, you and I have talked about this for the other films, but like for Brody um, as a screenwriter yourself, like how do you feel about putting those questions of morality in and, and leaning on kind of the negative side or the wrong side of the, the equation? 
I think if it serves a purpose, it's fine. But I just felt like it went really unaddressed in a sense. And I feel like, and I don't know how you guys felt. You can let me know. But like, I felt like all of the consequences, like there wasn't a lot of story arc. Like it's not like he's focusing yeah. on something or trying to do something specific. And then all of a sudden, in like the last 10 minutes, it was like, oh, if you don't pass this class, if you keep drinking, you won't work here anymore. And this, like, everything was jammed in at the end where it's like, oh, he has to get his life together really quick. Like, it, it wasn't spread out. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think I think for, for me is you can watch a movie and you can clearly tell that the director is not judging its characters. You think of something like the bling ring, which almost feels like uh, the camera is just there purely as like a sort of surveillance footage of watching these teenagers act badly and things like that, where there there's a level of distance between the director's feelings and the characters on screen. And it does a, a really good job of, of showcasing that. Whereas here, it almost seems like any sort of judgment has been specifically removed to the point where it's like, hey, look at this. I'm not judging anyway. Like It, it just seems very obvious that James Ponsel is trying to show that he's not judging. Like, you know, we, we get that scene with Bob Odenkirk near the end where he's like, hey, if you um, you can, I can only keep one of my workers because it's slow, but if I want it to be you, but you have to promise you can never show up drunk at all. You can, like, not even <laughs> like a single drink you can have. And it's like, well, where did this come from? I like, we, we as a viewer, we see him, you know, pouring booze from his flask into his, into his pop cup. He's like 7-Eleven Slurpee cup or whatever it is that he's always drinking, which we realize that when he's drinking that, he's drinking alcohol. Um, and we see him at work. We see him clearly doing well with customers. We never see him show up late. We never see him, you know, throw up on a customer or something like that. Or we never see Bob Odenkirk catching him with his flask or anything like that. So why does this scene come up where Bob Odenkirk says, if you want to work here, you can't drink anymore when we've never seen any sort of of anything happen where it's acknowledged that he's even drinking at work. Like we as a viewer can see it, but Bob Odenkirk didn't see it. His boss didn't see it. So where did that sort of come from on top of, you know, all this drinking and driving and sort of thing like that. Uh, and, and even like when he shows up home after the accident or whatever it is, and like he's, oh no, after he meets his dad and, um, and he's drunk around his mom and they get into that big fight and she gives him a big hug. It never gets addressed that he's drinking and she's not like, Hey, why are you drunk? Like, where did you get this alcohol from sort of thing? Like, like what you were saying, Brody, is absolutely right. And, and, and you too, Rachel, it's just like it's so far removed that it's actually – it seems like it's a positive thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like drinking is cool. It does. And I think yeah. to your point, like the Bob Odenkirk thing, like I like that that happened. And yes. as a writing tool, it is good because it – like I said – there wasn't a lot of like, oh, he has to do this, this, like there was no stakes, right? Mm -hmm. And that gives you stakes in the screenplay, which you need. But to your point, something should have been indicative of that earlier between them. Like even a short scene where something happens at work and Bob Oldkirk gives him a warning or something, you know what I mean? Just to kind yeah. of set that next scene up. Because I like that they yes. did that. It fits well. But like I said, they jammed everything in at the end, like even the teacher. Like, yeah. I think there was one short scene earlier with his math teacher. And then all of a sudden at the end, it's like, nope, you got to do this. And at one point, Bob Odenkirk's in that exact same scene, he says to Sutter, like, 
the customers love you. So it's not like he received a bad like yeah, report no from customers. No complaints, nothing like that. You're right. It, it does come straight out of nowhere. But like like Brody said, like it does serve the story nicely. It just kind of pops up very randomly. It's um, it's, it's it's a smoking gun conclusion but there is no gun to begin with like there, there's no check exactly. to begin with that went yeah. off sort mm-hmm. of thing. yeah fair enough so we're talking about the alcoholism and that obviously comes from uh well not obviously but there's a i think they 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 hint to the link which is his father like he doesn't he he says to his mom like oh you don't like me because i remind you of my dad so much and she goes well you're nothing like your dad and all that kind of stuff so how did um how did you guys find in the same vein of the alcohol kind of at the end in that one scene with bob odenkirk towards like the last 15 minutes of the movie gets brought up does the father story play the same does that play in the same way as you or does it play better for you um brody why don't we start with you um that's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff could be genetic. And I think maybe that's kind of the point that they're getting at that you mm-hmm. know, his father was predisposed to it. And now he is, but um, it just kind of leads to further questions. Like, where's he getting all this booze? And like, they went to a bar <laughs> with his dad in the States and he's clearly not 21. And they even like joke about it. Like at one point he's sitting at the bar and the guy asked me, he's like, what are you like 24? And he's like, yep. And it was like, I don't know, like, I think the dependency is clearly a character trait that they wanted to portray and that this guy Mm -hmm. is self-destructive. I think that's, and alcohol is an easy way to show that, right? Alcohol or drugs are Mm self-destructive tendencies. Um, And I think he clearly idolizes his dad a lot, even though he hasn't been around, because like, when he was talking about why his parents separated like multiple times, he says, well, there's two sides to every story. Right. So it's like, he's trying to see something in his dad that's positive um, so that he can justify the way he behaves. And maybe it's because he sees some of the stuff in himself and he wants to justify that. Oh no, that like, you know, there's two sides to every story. I'm just having fun. I'm just that guy. I think there's also the element of not wanting to accept that your father left. Like he, he is under the assumption that, yeah, that his mom like kicked him out of the house. So it's not that his father wanted to leave him. It was the mom who's like, obviously your, your villain, like his villain. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, your mom is the one who caused you to leave, who told you to leave. Um, when in fact, you know, coach Taylor just wasn't, wasn't up for it this time around, which, <laughs> which is very left, unfortunate. Yeah, is, but that also leads to another question where it's like, if she was seeing these self-destructive tendencies in her son, because like when he pulls the car up drunk on the lawn, he hits the mailbox. She makes mm-hmm. a comment like as if this isn't the first time like she knows that this has happened where it's like, well, how come you're not doing anything about it? So that kind of goes to then, you know, what we first started off with, which is like the realism of this movie. And, you know, high school drinking is obviously a thing. And I think almost even more so in the States than probably in Canada, just because the drinking age in, in the States is higher. Like either here in Canada, it's either 18 or 19, depending on which province you're in. Um, but in the States, it's 21 across. So I wonder if it's because it's so far away, they have a almost a bigger problem with underage drinking there. Um, so I don't like, it's it's kind of that same idea of 
promoting realism that, yeah, look, these high school kids drink, not just at a party, not just, you know, uh, um, to get drunk, like they're drinking as, as if it's water, basically, just a, as a part of their day, just as a full-blown adult would drink. But is it pushing it a little bit too far in the realism category or perspective rather? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and say like I was a perfect young underage person. Like, uh, I drank when I was underage and like everybody learn, has, haven't they? Yeah. 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 And you, and you sort of learn where you can get alcohol if you really mm-hmm. want to. Like I knew what restaurant in Chinatown you can go to and order cold tea and they serve you beer in a teapot basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a thing where like especially like after hours, you order cold tea after two AM if you want, you know, to drink after two, sort of thing. Um shout out Lucky Dragon, I think their name was, but that's like the name of every other Chinese restaurant. So that's it's not a PSA. <laughs> to all you youngins out there in Toronto. Where you get Lucky your Dragon. <laughs> yes. Uh, or like, you know, what dive bars don't ID you sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go to a party where the person that's hosting it, their, you know, older sibling is in university, they get you the keg sort of thing. And so like, if you want to drink, you can do it. What, what's sort of interesting is how, how do you become an alcoholic at that age sort of thing? How do you consistently get alcohol every single day without like we, we see one shot of him stealing booze from his, his mom's cabinet. You can't be doing that every single day without her noticing. The only way you could is if your parent was also an alcoholic and was cons- consistently going through bottle after bottle where they wouldn't notice, hey, every day, you know, a fifth of my vodka is going away. Where's that? What's happening with that? When Because they drink so much, they just don't realize. But, you know, you get Sutter's mom, who's a nurse, who obviously has, like, some bottles in her cabinet, would probably notice when she, you know, finishes her double shift at the hospital and is like, all right, I need myself a strong drink. What? Where's all my booze? Sort of thing. You just kind of unlocked a little bit of a memory for me from high school where they're um, like, this is full anonymity and like, I'm not going to, you know, blow up anyone's body here. But there was a guy that I went to, like, that was in my grade in high school. And he, I remember he left school for a bit and uh, it turned out he had actually been diagnosed with alcoholism. Um, And he he was like a genuine alcoholic. And we were probably... I want to say grade 11, grade 12, maybe somewhere around there. Um, Probably grade 11. Like I remember, like obviously we're young, like high school, you're young no matter what. But I, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe this movie is touching on something that is true. And like, but it's not very well known that, you know, cause I, it's not, I don't think it's very common for young people to become full blown, like diagnosable alcoholics, but now that you actually just mentioned that, I just realized, yes, I did go to school with somebody who was diagnosed with alcoholism. So uh, yeah, I guess in that sense, this movie does speak to a real experience that I'm sure a lot of people have, not just in North America, but I'm sure around the world as well. The thing I had question though too is because like even earlier in the movie, there was like the part where he goes to the bar and it's like, oh, I know the owner guy. And like, you know, he had just broken up with, um, Brie Larson's character and he goes up to like these girls at the bar he's like oh I just broke up with my girlfriend who wants to have a drink or whatever right and it's like well how did he get in and like how is he getting this booze like that's and to you guys point like we grew up in Canada I grew up on the Quebec border so it was very easy for us because everybody knew someone who was 18 
and you could go and get boost. But down there, like, I don't know. I just had a lot of questions as like, um, remember there was a scene early where, where they're driving and then the other car full of girls is driving beside them. And I hated that know, scene, by the way. Do you know where we could get some beers? And he's just like, yeah, I think I could help you out. And it's like, okay, but they never explain how and where he's getting this stuff. So Bertie, as like somebody, you write screenplays. So does the, do those things really like grind your gears? Is like Peter, yes. Peter Griffin would say. Like, do they really bother you when you see things like that, like holes in the script? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Or you're like, these guys are getting paid all this money to write this, yeah. well, and, and you know you should do it better. Well, it's not just that, and I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that. But the point is, <laughs> um, I did know, like, I did think it was a well-written movie. I'm not saying that, but it was just like it's little things like that where it's like, yeah. even if there's like a simple thing where it's like it shows him with a fake ID or he knows a guy mm-hmm. at the convenience, yeah, that, like, it would yeah. be such a subtle little thing you would have yeah. to do. Because he's always portrayed as like the life of the party. He's this charming guy. And like Miles Teller plays that kind of role in this, you know, quite well, I think. Like he's, he's, I don't find him charming, but I'm sure some people do. Like he is that kind of He's a bit of a douche, but he has hookups. So, you know, you tolerate guys like that. Exactly. Is it, you remember when Marcus, uh, so Brie Larson, Cassidy's now boyfriend, Marcus, he comes into the store to talk to to Sutter. <laughs> but then it was a good that, scene. It, but then he. I says, want to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. But then he even says to like, just before he leaves, he goes, you know, hey Sutter, like you're not as much of a joke as as everyone says you everyone are. Says, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so in that sense, it's like, is he supposed to be the the cool dude who's like the char- or is he just the like the the fuck up that or the screw up? Sorry, that everybody knows is a screw up but he doesn't himself like it yeah that scene was really interesting to me yeah and i I, i'm glad you guys brought that up because i really like that scene because it was like it gets back to why i think brie larson's character is so interesting and why she's kind of one of if not the only voice of reason in a way because like she started dating this guy like miles teller's character he's like listing off oh dude well you did this and you did this and this and it's like it shows why she wants to be with him as opposed to Sutter because this guy's got his act together. This guy is more mature. Mm-hmm. This guy has a sense of purpose and focus and is like reliable. And so Sutter recognizes that and realizes that. And to Rachel's point, it's like, he just doesn't care if he's that guy or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, I do kind of uh, briefly want to go back to the, the scenes with, uh, with Kyle Chandler. Um, Coach Taylor. That was Yes, Coach Taylor. Coach Taylor. Um, Clear eyes. Were probably like the, 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 the <laughs> of, full of conscience, whatever, whatever that line is going. Um, that's probably like the most heartbreaking scene in the whole movie because yeah. all these little character traits that we see through Sutter throughout the film leading up to it, it all sort of adds up. And then as soon as you, you meet his dad – and and you you realize that like he doesn't even recognize his own son's voice. Granted, it's probably been several years, but like it's one of those things where if if you like we've all been somewhere where like you haven't seen someone for you know five ten years and you see them and you recognize them even though they look different you still recognize who they are as a person. He just has zero recollection of who his son is. 
forgets when he's coming up, you know, takes him to a bar even though he knows he's underage, and then tries to ditch him to claiming that he has to drive uh, his girlfriend home, which he may or may not actually be doing to go have sex with his girlfriend and then going back to the bar to party with his friend. And like all of those things put together, you get this microcosm of exactly the path that Sutter is going along. All those things that he does throughout leading up, you know, he, he tries to be the life of the party, you know, he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a screw up, all of these sort of things that, that add up. He, you know, he, he, he sneaks drinks and it just, you, you see exactly who he is and exactly who his father is. And you go, yes, if you continue on this path, if you don't graduate high school, if you decide to just drop out, not go to school, not worry about what you're going to work as, you know, you can go get a job, not, not to denigrate any job, but like go work being a, a manual labor or something like that, where you're, you're earning a decent enough money to afford, you know, a six pack after work every night. This is exactly who you're going to end up being. You're going to be one of those sad, depressing guys, not like cheers, but in a bar like that. <laughs> yeah, It's good. It's going to be someone who doesn't, who doesn't live up to whatever potential that they might have. Right. Like, yes. and the teacher, I think the teacher at one point does say like, you're a clever guy. Like, you know, you're, you're throwing away. I mean, it was geometry class, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you can still some, tell when someone's smart, if, even if they don't understand a subject. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, I think like teachers in particular probably have like a good gauge on when somebody is clever and throwing their life away. And even if, I mean, even if they're not clever, like that one thing that I think is interesting about it is, you know, high school movies, they do try to put that aspect of the whole world is ahead of you. Like your whole life is ahead of you now. Like you're, you're out of the, you know, the, the state mandated time that you have to be in education. Now you can make a choice. You can say, do you want to do secondary or post-secondary education? Do you want to go to work right away? Do you want to um, get an apprenticeship or whatever it is that you want to do? And like your life is ahead of you. Whereas with Sutter, it's like, he doesn't, he's like, terrified of having to take that step because he has absolutely no idea what it is that he wants to do. And I mean, maybe that kind of goes to uh, his father of knowing like, well, this is what I'm like, this is what my eventuality is. So why am I fighting against it? Yeah. yeah. And I think that gets into the title too, right? The spectacular now is like, Hey, I'm, yeah. living, I'm having a good time. I'm having fun. Which is a really interesting way to, to position a high school um, story. Like, you know, we, like, I, I, I feel like I keep repeating myself, but it's like, we just don't see that very often. And in that sense, I do appreciate this movie for that. Like, I'm, I think it's clear all three of us are kind of like middling to not so middling on this movie. Like, I don't think it's any of our favorites, um, but there are like some there's a lot of strong parts, just sometimes yes. some of the parts. Absolutely. Like, yeah. But overall, like, I thought it was well done, but just there was things that you wanted more from it. That's all. Which isn't necessarily no. a bad thing because then it's like you're, it's, it's introducing something interesting in your brain and you just kind of wish that they explored it a little bit more, yeah. but as opposed to some movies where there's just nothing to grab onto. Now I, I kind of want to pivot the conversation to like the last main thing I, I think we should talk about is the accident in the aftermath. This was yes. something that, that Rachel, you had, you had mentioned to me and you seem like you're going to have uh, quite the opinion on it. And, and I have a reading it's, it's not necessarily my belief of 
how these people should act, but more so what their rationale as their characters were. And, and I feel like, I feel like maybe Brody can kind of split the difference between us and, and let us know who is, who is more on track of <laughs> maybe right. So, uh, so Rachel, what, what Don't was make your me choose sides, guys. That? Come on. This is why we bring choose guests on. Mom and dad. Yeah, the the, the dad whole point, right. the whole reason we, we, the whole reason we ask for guests to come on here is just so we well, can Christmas say is coming, who's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you guys are going to get me for the holidays. Uh, um okay so we'll just do like a quick recap obviously i mean if you're listening to this you've probably already seen it or don't care about having the movie spoiled for you but there is a pretty bad accident that happens um actually it seemed like a really bad accident but in the movie it kind of didn't end up being that bad at all arm or something yeah and i was like what so it's them coming back from uh seeing slash not seeing uh kyle chandler um sutter's father and Sutter is drunk coach dad. and coach dad, my, my boy, coach Taylor. Um, he, uh, Sutter and uh, Amy get into a, an argument and Amy is kind of being a bit of a do-gooder and just saying, you know, like, Hey, like I, I, you know, I love you. And she's, and Sutter's going, no, you don't like, you definitely do not. How could you love somebody like me? Like I'm not worthy of this, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and at some point, he almost gets, he swerves into the other lane, into the oncoming traffic and um, ends up, I guess, off the road, right? Like into not a ditch, but off, off road. And he tells Amy to get out of the car. And as Amy's out of the car and he's like yelling at her, uh, Amy gets hit by another car that is driving past. So that happens. And then they're in the hospital. And then right after that, they're in Amy's room. She just has a broken arm which that's so like she was hit by a car. It seemed pretty serious in my opinion. Um, And then the resulting scene, and this goes to, you know, Sutter's character, not at all having to reap any consequences from his behavior. uh, Amy just says, you know, look, we don't need to talk about it. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Let's move forward. That's it. That's the only address that she has. And, for me, it bothers me on many levels because number one, you like she could have died, and it was only his one his drunkenness. First of all, like he if he wasn't drunk, I'd like to think that he wouldn't have behaved that way, or at the very least, he wouldn't have swerved onto incoming traffic, oncoming traffic. Two, it to me goes a bit against Amy's character, who was up until this point a pretty confident girl and somebody who maybe was quiet, maybe was a bit book smart, but. She knew what she was like. She, for all intents and purposes, she was a confident person who knew what she wanted. And to me, for her to just all of a sudden go, no, 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 like don't worry about almost killing me. We're good. I found that just incredibly. Part of my brain went. Did <laughs> I checked to see who wrote it because I wanted to see if there was um, a female writer on their staff, and there wasn't. <laughs> and well, I was like, is this just what a, a bunch, a couple guys, and I'm not trying to paint men in a bad light i'm just saying was this just a couple guys who thought if i do this drunken behavior this girl because she loves me and she's so in love with me she's gonna forgive me no matter what and that was part of me thinking like this is why like i mean and i hate to bring a, a, a movie that just came out but like uh, the last duel like they got a woman to come in to write the female part because you know there is a bit of sometimes a stretch where you know, some men write male writers, not all. Some male writers just don't seem to have a grasp on what a, a girl would say, especially an 18 year old girl. 
on the other side of that, I would say teenage girls are complex. I was a teenage girl. Like our emotions are all over the place, just as I think any teenager is. So there, there, it might be kind of okay that she's, you know, a bit all over the place. Maybe she's a bit in shock. I don't know, but I was not happy with the way that turned out. So Dakota, you can go. (laughs) So I like, I, I agree with what you're saying. As far as a viewer, I I understand the frustration and I and I agree with it. For me, I think the rationale sort of comes from she is aware that this is probably the single worst day of, of Sutter's life. He he's so long had this image in his head of who he thought his father was and what he thought actually happened with how his mom and his dad broke up. And when he finally learns the truth and, and one of the things that was nice is they didn't have to hit over the head, you know, um, of, of Sutter and his dad having a big blowout fight. We didn't need to see any of that. We just see them sitting outside the bar and he sees them back inside the bar with all of his buddies and he's clearly drunk as hell. He knew that his dad had ditched him and, and just about the single most heartbreaking, crushing thing that could have done to a young impressionable per impress impressionable person that could have happened. And I think she's fully aware of, wow, this is really hard on him. And no matter what is happening, he's probably going to lash out or act irrationally. And it's not because of any other extraneous circumstances. It's strictly because of this circumstance. And so when they have their fight, I think during the fight, the, the, the actual argument that the two of them have, and he's like, why do you, why are you wanting to be with me? Because he's alluding to the fact that he's on the same track that his father is going to be. I'm just going to end up like that. Why do you even like me? I don't need you in my life because I'm just holding you back because you're going to end up with a guy like this and I'm going to end up disappointing you and ditching you just like my dad did to me sort of thing. And they have that argument and I think she realizes this is a heat of the moment argument and tomorrow, next week, whenever, when he calms down and sort of is able to maybe see the forest for the trees a little bit, that he doesn't have to turn out to be his dad, that he can get his life back on track, that things that he'll he won't actually be mad at her that it's not about her and that they can get past this and then when the the car accident happens i think as a character rationale what what she is thinking was yes well he told her to get out of the car it's not like he made the car drive too close to her and and clip her or however that happens And, and so that's how i'm looking at it and it's sort of like a She's isolating each incident as it happens. She understands that incident one is Sutter being crushed by his dad. Incident number two is them being arguing is arguing, but it's because he's lashing out of because of what happened with his dad. Incident number three is she gets hit by a car sort of thing, which is, you know, following each incident in a row, not actually his fault. Now, that's just what I believe is the character in the writer's intentions, even if I agree with you, Rachel, that it's very frustrating that she would just try to go back with him and forgive him instantly, if that all makes sense. It does. And I would say, like, I think the frustration of having female characters written that way is the idea of she has to carry the burden of his Mm. nonsense to her Mm. detriment. And she's fine with it. And, and like, it's a movie. Okay. It's a fictional movie, but in a sense, it kind of gives this message almost of saying like, well, this is the role of a girl in a relationship. Like when a girl is having 
an emotional moment or something like that, how many guys just kind of dip and say, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. Get your shit in order and relax, Mm -hmm. you know, calm down, relax. Whereas in this case, you're saying, not you, Dakota, sorry, not you. Um, The movie (laughs) is saying, hey, I've had a really tough time. And yes, he has. Like, obviously, it's like it's, it's extenuating circumstances for sure. But it doesn't excuse you for treating other people in that sense and and just having her go all right like um you know don't worry about it which is why i feel like this movie was kind of written in the the perspective of a bunch of dudes who kind of like they hope this is what the response would be um but anyways, brody what do you what do you think about that you don't have to choose a side you can just tell us which what do you think about it so vote Text now to vote A for Rage. <laughs> um, no, listen, I think I think you bringing up her confidence is an interesting point because she doesn't start as confident. Mm. I think she grows in a bit. And it's like, because think of like when they first meet, which I think is an interesting, like I said, I, I think the introductions to the characters were all done because you kind of get a sense of who they are very quickly. You know, she's waking him up on the lawn and she's going to do the paper out to help her mom because, like, not that she's put upon, but she just kind of feels like she has to. And then when he takes her to that party, you know, those guys are chatting her up and she's like, oh, no, they weren't flirting with me because, like, she almost thinks, like, they wouldn't find her attractive. So she mm-hmm. kind of starts a bit as that sort of not, like – that she dislikes herself. She's just kind of shy or just like unassuming in that way. Right. But then she grows in confidence as the movie goes on, even to the point where like, I remember her saying to him, she's like, well, I confronted my mom, you know, about this, or I said this. And it's like, she starts to find that level of self-awareness, which makes me think to your point, Rachel, that she wouldn't just be like, Oh, it's okay. We don't have to talk about this. And like, there's a million ways they could have addressed it where it's like, it doesn't have to be like some, you know, violent conversation where they just start like yelling at each other after the fact, but they could still address it. You know what I mean? Like, and it gets into the whole thing that bugged me a lot is that he doesn't face any real consequences. And even this accident, it's really not a consequence, like her arms in a sling, you know? (laughs) And then he's like, Oh, and then, and it's like, it's supposed to be like the one little thing they did. It's like at the end, after like the graduation thing, she offers him a drink and he's like, no, so that's supposed to kind of be a signal of like, maybe he's going to start to turn it around here, you know? So they sort of use it as a crutch for that. But it's like, I just, it irked me that there really was no response from that other than like, oh, okay, I'm kind of hurt and it's no big deal. Um, to Dakota's point, I think she's not the type of person who would really um, kind of hash it out in some like prolonged, like, dramatic way like that doesn't seem to be the type of character she is so um i think that is something that you could justifiably say well you know she's not one to do that and she doesn't want to act out that way but i i don't know i i I just wish that more of that kind of stuff and the behavior and all that was addressed because not that it's a tacit endorsement but it just it leaves you with like more questions and answers and kind of an icky feeling that like well no, he almost got them both killed and they're just not going to say anything. Like, It's also detriment to his kind of like in terms of character building for him. 
You know, yeah. like I think of, of like sitcoms that I love, like Seinfeld and Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Those characters purposely never grow because they're supposed to be terrible people throughout. Yeah. And we never see them grow. Like, I mean, Always Sunny is starting their 15th season in 15 years. They don't get any better. But in this case, in these types of movies, you kind of want to see a bit of character growth. And, and I mean, you're, you're right. We do see a little bit at the end there when he he turns down the alcohol. But without having somebody pull you up on what like the mistakes that you've made and your dickish behavior and dangerous behavior, quite frankly, it's like it, it leaves it, it leaves it feeling a little bit empty that you don't get. Yeah. Super dramatic that happened. Mm -hmm. She Mm could have been killed. And then they're just like, they brushed. She had a broken arm though. It was fine. It was yeah. cool. Don't oh, worry about that. That was she a nice thing. It looked good on her. Yeah, it was black. It was cool. It was like she it didn't <laughs> even seem like she had like a cast. It was yeah, it's good stuff. Um, okay, so I want to jump to the ending now. So the ending of this movie was it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous. Um, Amy goes to Philly and uh, starts college, and Sutter presumably has like a bit of this like flashback montage situation, and then drives to Philly and sees her on campus um, after not seeing her off at the bus terminal um, when, when she went to Philly in the first place. So my, so the, the way that it ends is the camera looks at Miles Teller and then it looks at Shailene Woodley. Shailene Woodley has like a tiny little smile on her face and then that's it. It cuts. So we don't obviously have an answer to what happens to them after. My question for you guys is what do you think happens or like what would you want to happen with these characters do you want them to get back together do you want them to stay apart whatever so brody what about you how how do you think this movie should end if you were to be the one to write the ending i think it kind of bookends well in a certain regard where it's like Mm -hmm. he's trying to finally make an effort and i think it speaks to him being more forward thinking and that's the idea right is he's not just going to live in the now he's going to try and you know be better in his life and not make the mistakes, you know, that his dad made and that he was making. Um, I don't know if I like it as much for Amy's character because she's clearly <laughs> ready to kind of go on. But if, if, and again, like this is all subjective. It's like, yes. if he was to change and if he was to, you know, kind of buckle down, like then, yeah, like they seemed happy together. So why not? Right. Like, it's not okay. like they were, terrible when they were together i mean he wasn't the best influence on her let's be honest mm-hmm. but she wasn't miserable so if he can become better and they can be good together i don't mind that they would end up together but i mean it's it i like that they kind of left it open-ended because it leads to conversation for sure dakota how about you i i would hope that they would not get back together that okay. the scene where he shows up at her university is uh, is him working on himself. Maybe he's in some sort of uh, rehab program or whatnot. And usually, one of the steps is if you're if you're following sort of like the the twelve steps AA program is um, apologizing um, for your your ma- your past uh, indiscretion. I like and, that. I like that. And, 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 and I could see that scene. If it, if I was writing it, it would be him showing up and being like, I apologize for what I put you through. 
I am trying to grow as a person and get my life back on track. I've, you know, I've enrolled in, in trade school. I'm going to become an electrician and I am so happy to see that you're, you know, succeeding at school. Please tell me about your new boyfriend that you have sort of thing. Um, and like, while we all understand as viewers, he decided to leave her at the bus stop because clearly she wasn't going to break up with him and she definitely needed to get away from him uh, because he was not good for her. The, how do you explain that to someone? How do you say, hey, I decided to no show on the day that we were supposed to move away to a different town because I'm a terrible person and you <laughs> need to break up with me and you weren't going to do it. Like, if you said that to your partner, there's no way they would believe you. Like, th mm -hmm. that's just such a contrived thing to say. So from a writing perspective, it makes sense that he would just ghost her, basically. But I would hope that if that scene continued, that it would be him showing real growth and maturity of a person and being like, I apologize for what I did in my past. I hope that we can have a friendship down the line, and I hope that you're doing better. Yeah. Like or even that. something simple, like, say he had, like, they don't even have to talk. You could just have like, he has like an AA book with them and it's circled, like make amends or something. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. You yeah. Know? And then yeah. they just yeah. kind of look at each other and he's holding it as like a symbol of like, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a better guy here. I'm trying to do something. Cause that's, and the, yeah. that's like I said, like he's not, like I said, people in whatever high school age, or whatever found him charming, but overall, like I'm not saying he's he has no redeeming quality he's not no. a particularly likable guy i do feel you know like there is some empathy you know for the way his dad treated him and whatnot like you do feel for him for that but like he also used that as a crutch like how many people come from broken homes or divorces and are not that way mm -hmm. like sure. you can't it just doesn't give like, you a free pass to be exactly like, my dad was a jerk and now i'm just gonna be you know the same yeah uh, I I would say I think that they would get back together, but then they would break up again, like really quickly. <laughs> I think they would get back together, yeah. and then That's and definitely. then Amy would say, uh, "Yeah, no, this is stupid. Like we shouldn't be doing this." And uh, and like that would be my hope for her, would that she would kind of click in and say, kind of have the same realization Cassidy had, which was this guy needs to get his shit together. Um, yeah, and then I mean, That's in like a, the most realistic thing. <laughs> yeah, and then like I mean, to throw in like a Hollywood spin, then you could like fast forward twenty years, and it could be like a Benefer two situation where they get back together, and it'll be like, wow, look at the growth. Then they were always meant to be with one another, but that would well, be like a really Hollywood. And Rachel, thing. I'll ask you this because like I can't yeah. speak to this, but it was because like you said, like especially when they were in the accident, and she was like, I really love you, and this, and she's like saying this and she basically like modeled her life around being with him right mm -hmm. so like like to your point oh this is like the guy's fictionalized version of that but people do do that mm -hmm. just as quickly they would move on right if they realized that hey listen you know especially at that age i think you 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 alluded to this earlier about basically people becoming um, like chameleons to their partners like you just kind of what they like you like what they do they you you go along with like and I do think um, I do think women are a bit more prone to doing that than men and I would say even more so at a younger age like at 18 um, I think either you know man or woman you would probably do that because you just like people want to be liked right like you people don't want to be kick up a fuss but I think in that situation, my hope would have been Amy would have had people in her life, like her friend who would have said, no, what the hell are you talking about? 
Um, because if you're not able to see clearly, then at least hopefully you have a circle of people around you that can see clearly and tell you, stop being such a fucking idiot. This guy nearly killed you and he needs to, like, it's not that he's necessarily a bad guy or bad for you. It's just, he has a shit that he needs to work out and that's not on you to have to carry him through that. And that would be my hope for Amy. <laughs> but, Likewise. And I just, yeah. like I said, I just, from her, like, I can't speak to it from the female perspective. That's yeah. not how she just like fond and was there for him and, yeah. you know, seemed to fit. I mean, it's a very, it's a very young person thing too, isn't it? Like exactly. I think the older, it's a very young person thing to do something like that. But I mean, saying that like, you know, there are plenty of people in their thirties, forties and beyond that will continue to do that for whatever reason, you know, but it's definitely more common, I would say amongst younger people. Um, well, I think a lot of it too, yeah. like his buddy was like, Oh man, is she your type? Like, that's why I do think the high school experience was portrayed you know, too well to that extent. Right. Cause like, that's definitely a conversation that, you know, you yeah. have. Definitely. I think it's definitely, it's a better, it's a better portrayal of high school than most high school movies. But like I said before, it's not like, it's not a really high bar to clear in that sense. <laughs> um, so in terms of the ending, I did kind of do a little bit of digging in the book, um, which Dakota, you mentioned that this was adapted from a novel. Um, Sutter heads deeper into his alcoholism. He doesn't actually come out of it. The book ends in a very negative way. Um, from I, So I haven't read the book, but I did a bit of spoiler alert, deep diving on the internet. And he the, the ending scene for him in the book is he's drunk in a parking lot of a bar. He decides like he's just kind of this is this is him being happy like his happiest is going to be drunk so he's going to continue just drinking um and kind of funny what you said dakota about like telling your partner like oh i'm not you know i'm i i think this is what's best for you in the book apparently he purposely like blocks her email blocks her phone so that she can't get in touch with him because he knows like she's he's bad for her so he does that in mm -hmm. a sense but the book ends off on a pretty bleak way um, and I also I couldn't find a primary source for this, but if you want to believe the IMDb trivia section, um, Shailene Woodley thought that their youth and immaturity would put them back together at the end of the movie, whereas Miles Teller thought they will go to lunch, but then they don't reconcile. So this kind of like different ways that people thought, which I, you know, Brody, to your point of it's a nice ending because it elicits different conversations and um kind of different theories as to how we would kind of want them to, to end up. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're good. Does anybody have anything else they want to add to spectacular? Now? That sounded a lot like school. Does anybody have anything they want to add to it? <laughs> well, I just, I think like, I wish there was more involved with his mom's character. Cause yeah. I feel like she yeah. was kind of just around and like, you got the impression, Oh, she works really hard and she's stressed, but then that was it. Like, I think like Sutter's whole family, that could have been the story instead of the love story. Like you could have done like more with uh, yeah, Mary absolutely. Elizabeth Winstead's character with the mum character. Like you could have done a lot more with that and then have the love story kind of be the secondary storyline. Um, because it, it is there. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there was definitely a lot. For them to pull like, Oh, well, okay. Like she's married to this rich dude. How's their life? Or their mom's working all the time and she's alone. Like what's her deal? Like, there is a lot there to dig. 
Definitely. No, definitely. And like, and also his attitude is like, well, your, your parents are supposed to be the one to take care of you. So like, don't help. Which I just thought that really kind of bothered me. Cause I was like, why oh, don't yeah. you help your parents? Like if they're clearly in a bit of a bind, maybe just help them out. You're okay. Um, okay. So why don't we move into our little game that we play at the end of um, these a 24 episodes. So we'll start off with the double billing pairing, double billing pairing, double feature pairing. I have double feature pairing written, but it doesn't look right. Um, so Dakota, while we start with you, what did you choose? I know that you had a bit of bit of a struggle in picking one. Yeah, this was really tough because I I was I was thinking, how do I pair this? What, what's a good one? And when we were chatting beforehand, I was saying how my opinion kind of changed. I'm more favorable of this, and and you suggested that I I think of maybe a pairing of one that I have changed my opinion on. And I thought that was a great idea. The problem was I couldn't think of a movie that I, I went from <laughs> disliking to liking. Um, most of the time, like I said, my I, I usually feel the similarly after uh, a, a rewatch of a movie. So I kind of threw that out the window. And then you also, like, oh, you know what would be? Sorry, just to interrupt you. You also don't really rewatch that many movies too. So that that's is, true. I, that, like, yeah. That hampers you as well in this department. There, there's only a, a small handful of movies I've probably seen more than twice. Like maybe a dozen movies I've watched more than twice. Um, wow, that, that's that's more than enough. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm. Thank you, Brody. Wow, indeed. Right? Wow. <laughs> no, but I'm not, like, I'm, I'm very much... simple. Like I'm not a huge, huge rewatcher, but definitely like <laughs> stuff I really like, I watch fairly regularly. Yeah, I'm. I'm just like there, there's so many things I haven't seen, so I'd rather watch yeah. something I haven't seen than I have seen, sort of thing, because the thing that I loved will always be there, but I don't know about the unseen. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely I make an effort. It says more about me to do that too. Uh, so then I thought I was like, oh, you know what? This was a movie about alcoholism. So I was looking about movies that deal with alcoholism, and and most of them are such pointing out what a what a train wreck a person's life is like a downward spiral they go on or about the story of redemption. And I don't really think either of these, either of those style of movies really fits with this. So I really sort of struggled. And so I'm really, I'm going really unoriginal here and, and I don't really have a, a great rationale, but my <laughs> pairing is the edge of 17 and strictly because it's sort of an unconventional teen film, teen romance film. Uh, but that's really basically all I, I sort of got where I could I could sort of watch the two of them together. Edge of 17 is, is way more funny. I, lo- I, I really enjoy the humor in that. But they sort of have similar tropes of the, the Amy character in The Spectacular now and The Edge of 17 where they kind of play up the awkward girl who doesn't know how to talk to people and isn't great at relationships and that sort of thing. So I don't know if either of you have seen Edge of 17. I really like that movie. You can, I haven't seen it. Does it work as a double pairing? I think that's a good call, man. Yeah, it's I, really I quite really like that movie. Yeah. It's, um, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to knock other movies. Like there was stuff like Booksmart or other things like that. Like I think Edge of 17 is one of the better of those female led kind of teen movies. Hmm. It also has the great Haley Lou Richardson, who I love and needs to be in more things. Yeah. Uh, Brody, I, I think we should go over to you. What's your what's your pairing? It changed after I decided it's not she's all that. So <laughs> <laughs> about half an hour in, I'm like, OK, I got to find something. Is it else. is it he's all that? Is that is that what you're going to pick? Oh, God, he's no. <laughs> oh, God. I've never seen that. And I don't intend to. So. 
Um, no, actually, there was two that came to mind. Um, have you guys seen The Way Way Back? No, I yes. haven't. Really like that movie. And Perks of Being a Wallflower. Like, I would yeah, say either of those. Perks of Being a Wallflower, yeah. Um, but I like The Way Way Back just because it's like, it's kind of about um, a similar time in a guy's life. And it, they're not like the characters are drastically different and the storyline's kind of different, but it's just more about like um, going through relationships at that age and trying to figure out what's next. And necessarily the life at home isn't the best because like this guy's father's also absent and stuff. So I, I just, and I just really like that movie. So. I feel. Yeah, like I think. I think well. that's a, that's a pretty solid pick. That was Thank one I, I, I very quickly today before I, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to go Edge of Seventeen. Is there anything I'm missing? And so I just Googled movie similar to the Spectacular. Now <laughs> it was like the first movie that like came up, and Edge of Seventeen was like the fifth resp- uh, um, thing that showed up. So like we're we're clearly on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> same page as all the like the lists that these websites put out. <laughs> they should pay yeah. us to write them. <laughs> do you uh, want to write those you? though do you really want to write those lists like that's the other thing too i want to get paid <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> um so i actually went something similar ish i'm sure this movie was probably on those lists as well um i chose 500 days of summer and yeah. yep. that's my one. reasoning for that was kind of a twofold thing so first of all it's it's obviously it's like the antithesis well, when it came out, it was the antithesis to like all those Nicholas Sparks movies that were coming out at the time. So whereas all these movies were ending with like a super happy ending and, and like, you know, with rain and all that crap. Um, 500 Days of Summer was like, no, it, it's not going well. It's not like you, you don't get the girl in the end and um, she wasn't the one, all this and that. So so for those obvious reasons, you have the, um, the parallel with Spectacular now. But the other thing that I thought was interesting was when I actually looked into it and sorry, there's also my favorite sequence in 500 days was when Tom kind of looks back on the relationship in a different way, seeing side by side. Yeah. And like seeing like, it wasn't as perfect as he thought it was like his sister also named Rachel. um, She was the one who points out like, look, it wasn't that great. Like I know in your head you think it's great, but it wasn't. And that lent to, what I've been saying about spectacular now, which is, you know, it seems like a movie that is written in the way that we hoped we had acted or in the way that maybe we are misremembering the way that we acted. Obviously I can't speak for the writers of the movie. Um, But in that sense, the writers of spectacular now end up being the same as 500 days of summer, which I didn't realize when I thought about 500 days. So it's Scott Neustadter and Michael H Weber. The two of them have written a lot of, um, Brody, you mentioned Perks of uh, Being a Wallflower. They wrote uh, Paper Planes, um, Finding Alaska, like those books. What's that author's name? I'm forgetting his name now. John something, John Green, is that his name? Um, But those those books, like The Fault in Our Stars, like that kind of thing, which is similar to uh, this kind of thing. So the bit that made me even more fascinated with that pick was because you have the same writers who wrote 500 Days, um, this was 500 Days is a 2009 movie. Spectacular Now is a 2013 movie. Obviously, 500 Days is an original script. Um, this movie, Spectacular Now, is adapted. But I thought it was interesting that they wrote a character uh, like 
Sutter, who's a young high school kid who doesn't think that anything or that anyone is worthy of him for one reason or another, like his father, his um, just who he is as a human being. Like he doesn't think that he's worthy of love and he all he does is causes damage to others. And then the flip side of that is Tom in 500 Days of Summer. He's older. He's in his 20s. He's working. But he's like just devastated to get this girl back who he thinks is the one for him. Like who he's like, obviously, I deserve her. You know, she is she's everything for me. But in fact, she ends up not being the one that's good for him. So in a sense, like there's a bit of a a bit of a, a twist. And I, I like, look, it's the same writing team, but obviously they're not, not writing these in like a linear fashion. But I just found it interesting, like one character that they wrote and then the next movie that they do or Pink Panther 2, I think was in between it, but in, like take Pink Panther out of it. The next movie that they write, it's kind of a bit of a, a, a switch from the Tom character in 500 Days. So that's why I chose 500 Days of Summer. I assume you both have seen it as well. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's I have. It's been, it's been a very long time. Fairly popular movie. I guess the connection the connection for that is that they're also both uh, really shitty guys in the lead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with the kind of grandiose thinking of themselves, which is it? Yeah. Is it typical of men? I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's move. Isn't that to... why you guys invited me here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's move to the would you rather. So Brody, let's start with you this time. So um, obviously, these aren't meant to be serious or deep. If you've listened to what Bro- um, what Dakota and I have chosen for it, so um, what is your would you rather question? Okay, well, I was trying to come up with this the other day. And so basically, you guys want something specific to the movie. Related to the movie, that's all. Yeah. So would you, again, would you rather have seen him um, get back together with Amy at some point? Or would you rather him go back to his ex after the end? I guess I would say if I if I had to choose one of them, I would probably say Amy because I think the Cassidy character clearly has shown that she has already outgrown and outmatured Sutter and she is happy with her, her current boyfriend and we see nothing to to sway the opinion that they won't be happy together. Now obviously when you know if you when you're eighteen you decide to you know, completely change what university you're going to and go to a completely different state to live in, to be with this partner. It likely won't work out long term, but uh, from what we are told on screen, we are not led to believe anything different. And so I think it would just be, I don't want to say fan service, but basically very contrived to have them break up and her basically come running back to Sutter for them to be back together when she clearly is well aware of what his likely life trajectory is, unless he has some tremendous growth, which she has not been present to see any growth from him. I'd agree with Dakota. I wouldn't want to see the Cassidy character regress in a way. Um, Cause I think, I mean, part of the reason that I really like her is that she is the one that figures it out before everybody else does. And it would be a bit of a betrayal of her character to go back to someone who maybe she has fun with and she has a lot of great memories with, but there is a great deal of maturity in recognizing um, it's fine to have those good memories, but like you can move on to the next chapter without any kind of ill will or 
anything like that. So I, I like that about the Cassidy character. So not to say I want him to end up with Amy, but just by default, because I don't want Cassidy to go back. Um, it fair. would have to be, it would have to be Amy. Yeah. How about you? How would you answer that? I think I would look at it in a similar light. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it depends on his circumstance too, right? Because, you know, she said, I want a future. Well, if he could give her that future, then maybe. But how you would get around that, I don't know. Fair enough. Dakota, what's your would you rather? I, I want to go last. So, Rachel, I want to go to you. <laughs> okay. So, um, you guys can take this either as the actor and your feelings associated with this actor or what you know about them. Or any character that the actor has played, and not necessarily in Spectacular Now. But would you rather Kyle Chandler or Bob Odenkirk as your father? Oh, interesting. (sighs) Could be Coach Taylor. It could be Saul from (laughs) Saul and Breaking Bad. Could be from Nobody. Could just be Bob Odenkirk and, and Kyle Chandler. Or the character Kyle Chandler would, plays I in would, the Godzilla movies, whoever that is. <laughs> you know what? I think uh, I'm going to say Bob Odenkirk because mm-hmm. I really grew up on his comedy, especially the, his Mr. Show stuff with David Cross. Uh, and I, and he always has seemed like just like a really sweet guy. And I remember uh, a few months ago when, when Bob Odenkirk had his little health scare, I think yes. everyone sort of collectively went like, oh my God, not Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> like I think everyone – really realized that this is like seems like a really genuinely good guy outside of the Hollywood system like all things considered he is a great person and he's he's I am glad that he's finally sort of gained the recognition he deserves for his acting because he's always been terrific Mm -hmm. it's weird that he's like now really famous because it's always been like oh yeah he's that like weird goofy guy that does like weird shit with David Cross (laughs) also had a great um Seinfeld episode of being yeah, like Elaine's boyfriend. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um Brody, how about you? Kyle Chandler or Bob Odenkirk as your dad? I think Bob Odenkirk would be more of like a dad dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean by cracking like dad jokes and like he'd yeah, be having sure. a good time? Yeah. Kyle yeah. Chandler just seems like he seems like a very nice man. And I'm sure he's a good guy, but like, I think Bob Odenkirk would just be like, you know, that like um, Dakota was saying, like, he'd have a sense of humor, but he could also be, you know, very genuine and like, even his character in the movie, right? Like, it genuinely seemed like he cared yeah. about Southern. Like, I, I feel like he just seems like that type of person and not that Kyle Chandler doesn't. Obviously, like most of the stuff he's in, he is that guy, right? So it's hard to kind of decipher that, but yeah, I, I just think the sense of humor, like Bob Odenkirk would be really funny. So as much as I've been bigging up coach Taylor in this, I actually agree with you guys. I'd go with Bob Odenkirk as well. <laughs> I really love him. I'm with Dakota. Like he's been that guy that's been in a ton of comedy stuff, like in the background or like kind of the, the wacky dude, the, or the guy that you see and you go, Oh, that, that guy looks really familiar. And now he's kind of gotten his due. And I mean, he was like a writer for a long time as well, but I think, yeah, he, he's, I think he started on Mm -hmm. Conan. That was kind of his big break then. So for me, what turned it was, was nobody, the movie this year. When I saw him fight, I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. Bob Odenkirk could really protect you. 
he'd be a really good dad in that sense. In the same way that Liam Neeson could also protect you. This is what the things that you're looking <laughs> for. You want to make sure you don't get taken. Okay. That's, this is the whole thing. So I feel like Bob Odenkirk, he'll make you laugh. He'll be a really like cozy dad that will help you when you're, when you're down in the dumps, but he could also protect you from assassins. And that's important. When you cross the Russian mafia by accident. <laughs> exactly. It's really important that you have a dad that can do that. And Bob Odenkirk's my man. Of course. Not saying Kyle Chandler yes. couldn't, but I haven't seen proof that he can, whereas <laughs> Bob Odenkirk definitely could. Um, Dakota, you're up. Would you rather? All right. The, I, the, the, all right. This is, this is going like completely opposite direction. <laughs> and uh, I am giving both of you the ability to choose not to answer this. This, this is, this is fully an option. Um, so <laughs> you guys had much better ones than I did. Would you rather have a deadbeat alcoholic parent that has no interest in having a relationship with you and reflecting on past memories may not be as rosy as they seemed, or would you rather, to paraphrase a quote from Alfred Lord Tennyson, is better to have a parent you loved and lost? This means all of your memories are likely pretty positive with them, but you can no longer make new ones. Because in the movie, we talk about how Sutter, his parent, his dad, left, and he's an alcoholic deadbeat dad, but Amy, her father, had died. So that's where I am kind of putting those two together. So... Feel Just really keeping it light, keeping it light. Really don't want to. Yeah. You're keeping it light, Dakota. Yeah, that's a good. So basically you're saying, would we rather have a deadbeat father who is alive or a father who died, but we have good memories of them? Yes. Obviously with the deadbeat parent, you could conceivably eventually get your relationship back, but there is absolutely no guarantee of that. Okay. I'll go first. I will say, I think I would rather... Oh, this sounds terrible. I would rather have a parent who <laughs> right? who died. Like I think I would rather that than because look, I, I'm I'm fairly lucky in my life. My parents are still together, and like I didn't really have to deal with that stuff when I was younger. But um, I the idea that like what Sutter had to go through of knowing, like having just like his heart broken of the fact that he thought his mom was the one to kick her or his dad out. And it turns out, yeah, no, your dad just didn't want to be around you. Like that's heartbreaking. And that that's really tough to reconcile as um, at any age, not even like 18, like at any age, I think that's an incredibly difficult thing to, to deal with in your life because um, I think all we want is for our parents to like a, a parent's approval kind of thing. Right. And especially too, cause he's not lucky enough to have, you know, a stepfather or another father figure in his life, aside from Bob Odenkirk, who's just his boss, um, who doesn't he so he doesn't have that, like somebody else there to help him out and, and get him through these things. So yeah, I think I would rather a dead parent, which sounds terrible. <laughs> Let's God. not dwell on it too much. Brody, do you want to even answer this question? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> You do not have to if you do not. No, want. I, I think. To, <laughs> I'm. I, I think to Rachel's point, um, if you had the deadbeat parent, it, you know, if your folks died, like if they get sick or an accident or something, it would be traumatic, and that's something that you would have mm-hmm. to live with. But you know, you kind of carry part of them with you, as they say, as cliche as that sounds, right? And I again, I'm very fortunate. My folks are together. I have them both, and I have amazing parents. But like, if you had a parent that was a deadbeat 
not only would that weigh on you every day, but you would know that they just choose not to be with you or that you would have to maybe try and take care of them. Like every day there would be this onus weighing on your mind of something that you could do or should do or that they're not doing. Whereas if your parents passed, it's kind of out of your control. So it's, you know, it, it would be something that you would accept as difficult as it is, but it wouldn't be like that you could do something about it. Whereas if your parent was a deadbeat, like there would always be that onus of like, Oh, well maybe I should try and fix this or this. And then you would constantly just be disappointed because they wouldn't, you know, allow you to almost because they're the screw up. Right. Dakota, do you want to answer that or do you want to pass? I think that's great. (laughs) You know, I, I'm just going to say, I, I agree with both of you and I would choose the same. And, and really like this is a pretty mean question that I, that I propose. So no, it's super cheery and light and it's just like rainbows and (laughs) unicorns. We're getting ready for the holidays here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for indulging me in this. Uh, But yeah, I I agree with you guys and, and you both basically formed a complete opinion on, on how I feel about it too. So I, I have nothing really extra to add about that other than I'm really sorry I came up with that question. I was like, oh, I'm going to be so clever. And then I started typing it. I'm like, wow, I'm a really terrible person. What a, what a left turn from Kyle Chandler or Bob Odenkirk as your dad. What yeah. just a sharp yeah, left yeah. turn that took. At least he didn't ask us which one of them we'd kill. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. You had to pick one. So there we have it. Uh, See, now I'm th- I'm thinking about it, and I, I can't. I can't. I'm thinking about it, and I can't do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think, you know, that's a great place to end this episode. <laughs> Brody, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the show today. If, if listeners want to give you a follow or find more of your work, where can they do that? And also, do you have anything going on right now? Uh, well, first off, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a blast. Um, if they want to follow me, just follow on Twitter. It's my name, Brody Cottenham. Um, I always have something going on with the writing stuff. Uh, my short should be on the Moonrise Moonrise Productions, I should say. Uh, is the company that did it. And my short film is called The Gift. Uh, I'm not sure where it's at in terms of them putting it up online because I know they were still – it has played some festivals and I know they're still trying to do more, so I'm not sure when it's available. But uh, if you follow me online, I would be posting any of that. And uh, in terms of other writing stuff, yeah, I'm, you know, I've always got things in front of producers, so I'm just kind of hurry up and wait right now with that. So you guys will know if that goes anywhere. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll make sure to uh, include links to your, your socials in the show notes. And uh, and obviously, if you ever have anything that is screening, please let us know. And we'll make sure to to be promoting that as well. Uh, so that way people can be checking out your excellent oh, work. Really appreciate that. Thanks. And thank you both. Like I said, this, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for coming on, Amazing. Brody. Well, thank you so much. Yes. Rachel. As always, where can listeners find you and more of your work? I can find me at rachelkh.com. Uh, the, what do you call it? Twitter and Instagram are underscore rachelkh. It's always something. I don't know. I, I don't really tweet that much, to be completely honest. Um, but I have uh, the Toronto Real Asian Festival um, pass. And so I did a few reviews for that. And those are up on my page. And there's going to be a review for the Souvenir Part 2 um, coming out for exclaim soon um i think monday possibly um an a24 movie it is an a24 movie and i will there will be a tragedy of macbeth um review at 
some point. I don't know if that that might be closer to when the movie actually comes out, though. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll have a couple A24 reviews out uh, later in the month. Um, but, yeah, those things. So Amazing. that's as always. You can follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And you have, if you have seen this movie distributed by A24, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you'd like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there too. Thanks for checking us out. Mm-hmm.